Come on in, grab a seat. This is the uh, fourth and final session. Trust you ladies had an encouraging time. Yes? All right. And let the record show that I was done teaching for Krista. We did Q&A <laughs> in the men's time. And I want to thank my co-pastors for letting me do this. And what is it kind of just hit me was like when I've done this, the other seven churches, I show up, I teach, and I leave town. I thought, wait a minute. I'll see you all at church this weekend. So that's pretty cool. So if there's things that come up, I want to point you to my co-pastors. Like, you know, we want to talk about X or Y or Z that came up. Like, there's some really good examples and some men and women that would love to talk to you about this stuff. So dig in with the resources here. So this is the final session. And we are talking about New Testament parenting. Here's another picture of our family. This is the uh, Squire Rust wedding from last year. So a point of clarification is that it's easy to see these parenting things through a lens of methods. Like if I do these things, I'm going to get this product. But I have a verse for you to chew on here. It's Psalm 20. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So. Christian parenting is God's spirit working through you, using God's word to teach these things through our, to our kids. Think about the, is the nation of Israel, though. They, they had all these battles. Occasionally, there was a battle where somebody would just like stand there and God would just wipe out their enemies. But most of the time when Israel was battling, their armies, their chariots, and their horses were fighting. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So this does not mean we're anti-chariots. We are putting our faith in the fact that God is going to work through our methods and his word and our training and our discipline, but we understand it's fundamentally God who's going to work through it, if that makes sense. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's wicked people that came from good families and there's good people came from wicked families. So we shouldn't see that and be like, well, there's no reason that we should be intentional. We should be intentional, but our trust is not in our methods. Well, I trained my kid, or I read him that book, or I did this thing. This parenting is a work of God. It's a work of his spirit. It's God's working through you, but it's ultimately a work of God. And so parenting is this amazing dichotomy. On one hand, it's one of the most encouraging things in my life. On the other hand, it's one of the most challenging, frustrating things in my life. Again, my, my son that I told you about, one day he's witnessing to a depressed classmate sharing the love of Jesus with him. The same kid, same week, he's super crabby about dinner. I'm like, whoa, where's the loving kid that's telling people about Jesus? Just be nice to your mom and thank her for dinner, son. That would be great. So New Testament parenting. We're going to focus in the New Testament. There's only two passages in the New Testament that directly address parents. And then there's two that indirectly address parents. We're going to cover both of them, but only four, which means the New Testament, Jesus arriving on the scene, did not change things dramatically on the parenting front. The things that we covered in Proverbs are still foundational. So 
Again, we're painting a wall. We've talked about dads and moms and parents and little kids. Now we're going to focus in on older kids for our final session. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into our last message. Lord, I thank you for all these parents, Lord. I thank you for their decision to be here last night and today and to study your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless their faith, that you would teach your sons and daughters what they need to know to teach their sons and daughters. I ask that you would Give me grace and strength to teach effectively now. Help us, Lord, to raise disciples who love you by your grace. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First two passages there. I'll cluster them. I'll group them. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise, and they go well with you. You may live long in the land. Or Colossians 3, the parallel passage. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. There's so much truth here. If you want a good memory verse for your kids, have them learn one of those two verses. Have them learn Colossians. My parents had me memorize this verse when I was a little kid. It was bouncing around in my brain. We had our kids memorize this. So the first clear command, children, obey your parents in everything. Again, when you go to bed and when you eat and how you eat and how you speak and when you start something or stop something, how your teens treat you, how your teens run their plans by you. The word obey means to be attentively listening to and fully compliant with. So every child, every teenager should be willfully, joyfully, cheerfully under the authority of their parents. And they demonstrate that by obeying mom and dad. You're called to teach your kids this. And so there's a few things I want to highlight here. First, our obedience of our parents is in the Lord. So anytime a kid is asked to obey, that obedience of mom and dad should be subservient to serving God. So mom or dad asks you to sin, you shouldn't obey them because you're obeying your parents in the Lord. No, dad, I'm not going to watch that porn with you or something. What I am also struck by in this passage is that children are talked to. In the Roman Empire, kids had no value, no worth, no dignity. The dad had total authority over the life and death of his kids. So if this was written from a Roman perspective, it would be, fathers, make your kids obey or else. But here we're speaking to kids like they have value and worth because they do. So do you see all the reasons in that verse why children should obey? First, it's right. This is like how God created the universe, that children obey their parents. And it says, it's quoting, you see the parentheses, that's direct quotes from the Old Testament, Exodus and Deuteronomy. And then it says, it's for your blessing that it may go well with you, for your children. And then it says, for long life. So God wants your kids to obey you because it's the part of the created order. It's in the Bible. It's for their blessing and it's for their longevity. So there's all these blessings that flow from this. So your first blank, New Testament parents know the importance of their children's obedience. And you are God's agent in this task of teaching your kids to obey. So when you allow your kids to disobey you, you're allowing your kids to disobey God. When you train them to obey you, you're bringing all of that blessing into them, into their life. So let's look at the second part of both of these passages. Ephesians 6, the second part, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. 
So it's our job to train our kids. And I think that you see there's two camps in these verses. There's parents that are heavy on the discipline, and there's parents that are too heavy on the, like, the love. And I think there's a balance here. Some parents go, I just want to... I don't want to alienate my kids. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the heavy. I don't want to be the police officer all the time. And then there's parents on the other end of the spectrum. They're so heavy-handed, they're discouraging their kids. They're provoking them. Some of you right now need to hear you're too light on the discipline and instruction. You need to bring more of that. Others of you need to hear you're so heavy-handed. You're like breaking your kid's spirit and either side is good or healthy. There's a place for so much discipline and instruction and so much love and tenderness. The Bible is clear. Both are needed, L discipline and love. We're going to unpack this a little bit in this teaching. My wife and I are tested in this balance all the time. A year or so ago, my two oldest sons, they were cleaning up dinner. And usually they work well together. They're talking. They're cleaning up the kitchen. But that night, they were just being fleshy, and they're crabbing at each other, and they're grumping and nitpicking each other. And then at some point, I believe, if I remember right, we walked out, and they were actually literally wrestling on the floor. Like, they just had enough of each other, and they're just on the ground. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And I was just angry at them. And Krista, like, said, Huddle, Huddle, you are being harsh. And I was like, okay. I was like, hey, young men, come here. You guys are totally capable of cleaning up this kitchen without fighting. You've done it a million times. I need you two to work together as a team, clean up the kitchen. And that night, we were going to go do something fun as a family. And so I said, hey, guys, as a consequence for what you just did, you two are going to stay home, and you're going to clean the whole house. And the rest of us are going to go have fun. You're going to clean the house. And you could, you could see two brothers that are annoyed at each other would stay in the opposite end of the house the whole time. If they're going to obey dad, one kid will be cleaning up. You do downstairs, I'll do upstairs. And they would just avoid each other. I was like, you're going to clean the same room together as you clean the entire house. So it's all right there in that verse. Discipline your kids and instruct them, but don't provoke them and be gentle with them. So some of you need to hear right now, you need more discipline and instruction with your children. Others of you need to hear, don't provoke your kids to discouragement. There's a balance here that we need God's grace to walk in. I want to talk about the instruction piece. I think we need to do more of our instructing and training of our kids at home. When we go out in public, our lack of training at home is exposed. What's the American parenting method now? It's put our kids in front of a screen, watch a show on an iPad, on a device, playing video games, on their headphones. Everybody's in their own digital isolated screen world. I don't know if you've seen some of the stories this last year. Facebook, recently, there was a Wall Street Journal article this past year. They said that teenage girls who use their app, 32% of them feel worse about themselves after they use their app. Brian shared this infographic last year talking about the impact of social media on our teens. So we're looking at depression, loneliness, dissatisfaction with life, and sleep deprivation. So a family with low digital usage versus high digital usage. So a huge difference in depression in teenagers from low digital media usage to high. A big difference, again, between loneliness, whether you're low or high digital usage. Both are the same on dissatisfied with life. So teenagers are just dissatisfied with life. It doesn't matter if they have a phone or not. And again, there's a, a spectrum on the sleep deprivation. 
So I'm talking about instructing our teenagers right now. My son, he was at uh, junior high last year, and there was a threat on social media. A student made a threat against the school, and the principal sent this out to a few thousand parents. She said, we continue to be very concerned about the overarching use of social media among our students. While there is no research that supports any advantage for the use of social media by our children, there's plenty of evidence that it can cause grave harm and emotional danger. So well said, Principal Madsen. So again, kids, remember, are on their device nine hours a day. So is this brilliant parenting or is this flawed parenting? There's no training or hap instruction happening in this environment. Everybody's just on their own device. They're all just in their screens. We're running a giant experiment on children in this country, and the results are bad. I drove by an elementary school the other day, and this dad, I assume he was carrying his like eight-year-old kid to the car, and the kid's like beating his dad on the back like this. I assume the dad said to his kid, hey, let's go. And the kid said, no. And the dad's like, let's go. And the kid's like, no. So the dad just picked him up, threw him over his shoulder, and was carrying him to the car. The kid is probably thinking, at home, you give me a device. You just want me to leave you alone. And now, at school, you said, time to go, and I don't want to go. And now you've picked me up and carried me. Like, we can't, we got to bring some consistency here. We can't be like, at home, I just put them on devices, and I ignore them. Please leave me alone. But now we're in public and I asked you to go to the car, and you're not going to the car. Digital isolation does not allow for training at home. If we're not training our kids at home when we're driving around town in chores and meals, then we're suddenly exposed when we ask them to obey. Wait, my dad has never had expectations on me at home, and now he does, and that seems kind of inconsistent, Dad. I think about a situation with my daughter years ago. My wife took her to the dentist. She was about two, and she hated the dentist. She, like, started screaming bloody murder in the dentist's office so bad that my, they said to my wife, they said something like, you're going to have to take your daughter and leave because she's freaking out the whole office. And so Kristen and I discussed it that night. So our options are we could, like, stop dental care for our child till she's over her fear of dentistry, or we could make her, force her, train her to start doing things that she's scared of. And so our solution was, hey, Haley, dad and mom are going to ask you to do some things that push you. And so like she, she was a little kid, but she didn't like going down to the basement. It was so scary. And I was like, Haley, can you take this downstairs and put it on dad's desk? I don't want to do it. I know, but you're going to do it. Just flip on the lights, go down there, set it on my desk. Haley, will you run this out to the garage? It's scary in the garage. You'll be fine. Flip on the lights. And so there were these deliberate choices to have her do things that she didn't want to do because we were training her. Now she's super brave. She does all kinds of hard things. But that instruction needs to happen at home, and I think we can allow devices to prevent that instruction. Some of you go, if we take away their devices, what are we going to teach them? I think of this verse in Acts chapter 20. Paul said, I testify to you to this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So we're teaching them all this stuff we've talked about, being thankful, being others-oriented, being obedient, being self-controlled. I want to talk about serving. I think it's so important that our kids learn that they are more than consumers, that our kids learn how to serve their siblings, at home, and they learn how to serve the church. 
Everything in our society is teaching our kids, especially our teenagers, to be consumers. I like how Dr. Leonard Sachs put it. He said, the task of the parent is teaching your child to desire and enjoy things that are higher and better than cotton candy. Video games, Instagram, and text messages are the cotton candy of American popular culture. So our kids need to be instructed and taught that life is not about them. Chores. You've said that a lot. I believe in chores. Laundry, dishes, trash, mowing, weeding, watering, cooking, all of it. Any job that you can do, have your kids do. Playing with their siblings, reading books. I don't want to read to my brother. I know, but you're going to sit with your brother and read him a book. I already played a game. I know, but you're going to play a game with your brother. And like I told you, Kale had hundreds of hours of community service. Our kids cannot think so highly of their own pursuits that they don't serve their family, their sibling, and the church. That's the heart we want to cultivate and demonstrate. Consider others better than yourself. But what is our world? Our world right now, especially as our kids become teenagers, is all about becoming famous, being influential, being a celebrity, being Instagram famous. Here's a survey of a few thousand young people. This is pretty dramatic. One in four young people today would quit their job in exchange for fame. One in four young people would rather be famous than be a doctor. One in 10 young people would choose fame over a college degree. One in 12 young people would cut off their family to become famous. This is an incredible demonstration of the culture that we are raising our teens in, especially one of self-promotion and self-exaltation. God wants us to raise kids who serve others in this environment. So why don't we discipline or instruct our kids like we should? I think sometimes we don't want to be the bad guy. We want to be the good cop. We want our kids to like us. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we're lazy. It's after church. The kids are playing gaga ball. They're having a great time, but it's time to leave. It's time for bed or it's time for a meal. All right, son, time to leave, but your son doesn't want to leave. We go, I love my kid. I feel bad. He's having a great time with his friends. But the truth is, it's time to go. There's a self-control lesson here. Life isn't always gaga ball. It isn't always bouncy castles. It isn't always birthday parties. It isn't always hanging out with your friend. When dad or mom say it's time to go, what should the kid do? Go. We want to please the people we love. And we love our kids and we want to please them. But that fear of that little man or that little woman will prove to be a snare. Your desire to please your kids cannot dictate your parenting method. If you always give your kids what they want, they will be ill-equipped to face adulthood. It's more important that our kids learn to serve others and work hard and be thankful and be self-controlled than they get what they want all the time. Years ago, my son, Kale, he was writing a paper in homeschool on astronauts. And he's writing this paper, and he misspelled the word astronaut, which is a key word in a paper on astronauts. <laughs> Krista, she's like, oh, sorry, bud. You got to rewrite that paper. You misspelled astronaut. He's like, okay. So he rewrites the paper on it. It's like one page. It's not like some essay. He just rewrites it. And she's like, oh, you misspelled the word astronaut again. I need you to rewrite it. And he's like, oh, okay. So he rewrites it. And now it's dinner time. And Krista grabs the paper and he misspelled it again. And now it's like family game time. We're going to watch a movie or play a game or something. I'm like, what's my job? Here's your next blank. New Testament parents understand it's their job to prepare their children for a godly life. 
So I grabbed my son. I said, hey, buddy, come here. We got, we're going to play a game. But you got to write this paper. Imagine, I fast forward these behaviors into the future. Imagine your boss was like, I need you to write that paper. Oh, you misspelled this word. Can you rewrite it? And your kid walks in and goes, here's that paper. I didn't spell the word right again. <laughs> like project that behavior forward. I go, I'm training my kid for godliness, for adulthood. I said, hey, buddy, dad and mom are going to have you rewrite this paper again. And so I took a piece of paper. I had him write out the word astronaut. I, I think I literally taped it to the wall in front of his desk. I said, every time you come to the word astronaut, raise your eyes up, look at the paper, copy it, and then go back to your paper. My job, Krista's job, is to prepare our kids for a godly life. And this is a whole lot of discipline and instruction. This quote by Susanna Wesley is convicting. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. She said, the parent who studies to subdue self-will in his child works together with God in renewing and saving of the soul. The parent who indulges self-will does the devil's work makes religion impractical and salvation unattainable. So we need to discipline and instruct our kids in a loving way. Do you know that every verse in the New Testament that talks about obeying your parents is not a joke? There's actually two other passages that indirectly talk about parenting. And look at these mentions of disobey. This is Romans chapter 1. I think Brian covered this a few months ago. Romans 1, talking about people, sinners, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. When I read that verse as a teenager, I was like, whoa, God, that doesn't belong on the list. That's totally hardcore. That's how God views it. God's like, you're disobeying your parents. God puts it on the same list. Or in Timothy, talking about, talking about the last days and the sins that people will commit. Again, people will be lovers of money and proud and arrogant, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous. You get it. We live in God's world. God views disobeying your parents on par with these sins. Your word is the law. God's word clearly values your kids obeying you. So a couple years ago, I took my kids to an ice cream shop, and there was this dad. We were up by Bear Lake, and there's this ice cream shop, and he had these two daughters standing by him, and one daughter's probably five, and one daughter's seven, and one daughter keeps shoving the other daughter, and he's just on his phone, and this is happening right here, and he's ignoring it, and I kid you not, I found the whole moment kind of ironic because this is what his shirt said. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. <laughs> so he's probably thinking about some sort of like cultural evil that we need to stand up against. He's not talking about his one kid just shoving his, one sister shoving it. What should he have done? He should have like put away his phone, engaged and said, hey, could you please quit shoving your sister? Will you come stand over here, hold my hand, hold my hand, apologize to her for shoving her. But he knew what was going on. He just stood there. You could tell it was bugging him. And then eventually he just turned and walked out of the ice cream store and his daughter sheepishly followed him out. He should have engaged. He should have jumped into that moment. Project the behavior forward 10, 20 years. What comes of this when the kid is 15 or 25 or 35? I hate to break it to you. These flesh patterns don't solve themselves. 
We don't outgrow our sin nature. We need to be disciplined and trained to grow in godliness. You shove your sister at five. You shove your teacher at 15. You shove the cop at 25. You shove your spouse at 35. Train them now. So the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good parents to do nothing. Which brings up an important point. We are not making suggestions for our kids to consider. We are giving commands for them to obey. I think parents today think they're so enlightened because they give their kids suggestions. Hey, son, would you mind making your bed? Hey, daughter, could you do me a favor and eat the last bite of food? Hey, would you mind, son, if you have time taking out the trash? I'd like you to shift that word track. Son, please make your bed. Daughter, empty the dishwasher. Son, do a housewide trash. It is a command that we're issuing that we expect our children to obey. We're not giving them suggestions to ponder. We're giving them commands to obey. There was a powerful story I read about this. There was a sociologist back in the 1960s named Dr. Coleman. He surveyed hundreds of teenagers in the 1960s, and he said, would you join a group that your parents said you could not join? In the 1960s, 60% 60 of teenagers said, no, I wouldn't. So back in America in 1960, if mom or dad said no, 60% of teens would not do it. Well, a doctor did a follow-up survey in the last decade. He would ask his kids in his practice, if your mom or dad told you not to join a group, what would you do? You know what the most common response was? The kid laughed. They're like, <laughs> it's laughable. Like mom or dad have any authority in my life. It's sowing incredibly bad seeds in our kids' hearts. We need to be teaching our kids to obey. When you go home this afternoon, Notice how many of your directions of your kids are suggestions versus commands to your teenagers. Are you suggesting or inviting them or are you telling them what they need to do? So my boys, when we sent them into public school, Cal and Aiden were both picked as the student of the month in September and August at their public middle school. And it was only a few weeks into the semester. There's not been hardly any assignments, any grading. What made my boys stand out was that they listened to the teachers and they were respectful. And the teacher's like, whoa, I don't know what's happening right here, but those are the students of the month. <laughs> if we train our kids to be under our authority, they will shine like lights in this world. So to summarize this point, New Testament parents give commands to be obeyed, not suggestions to be considered. Ask your babysitter, how do my kids do at listening to your instruction? Ask the coach, ask the teacher, Sunday school teacher. My wife teaches Sunday school here like many of you do. And one time, one of your kids walked in and said, I'm growing in obedience. I need to act wiser in class, <laughs> which was super encouraging. Because kids don't say that. <laughs> that is a proactive parent saying, hey, when you go to Sunday school, you need to listen up a little bit better. That's incredible. Do our kids obey the authority in their life, their teachers, their bosses, their coaches? Do they obey and listen to you? So there's two other passages that talk about parenting indirectly. One is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is Paul talking about his role that he had as a pastor of the church in Thessalonica. It's a pretty amazing passage. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you 
not only the gospel of God, but ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. So talking about his role, he says, I was like a new mom. Imagine a mom caring for her baby. Can you think of a more tender image than a mom caring for her infant child? He says, affectionately desirous of you, willing to share my life. Mom and dad, does this describe your tenderness with your children? Do you hug them and kiss them and tell you you, lo- you love them? Even when they're big and teenagery, that's when you got to bring more love and more hugs and more kisses. Yeah, I mean, it's like wet fish, wet fish, come here. <laughs> Hug your dad. If our parenting doesn't involve a lot of love, it's in vain. Show me that Lego you built. Tell me about that book you just read. Tell me about that game you're really into. Tell me about that show that you want to tell me the lore on that I don't care about. Talk about this thing you're excited. Tell me about your interest. The problem is we're responding to a text message. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What do you got? What do you got? We're distracted. Our focus isn't there. Make undivided time for your children. Make it happen. Put your phone and do not disturb and set it on your desk and engage with your kids. There's a mom. She takes her kids to the park, and she told me this story. She said the parents will sit around the perimeter of the park on their phone, texting, watching their show, and then all the kids are kind of Lord of the Flies style, climbing over the playground equipment. But she is engaged. She's watching, and she'll notice sometimes two kids get in a fight, and they're punching each other, and she'll walk in there. She'll, like, separate them, and she looks up, and, like, every parent's just staring at their device. No parent is engaged with what their kid is up to in that moment. That's not the heart Paul is expressing here. He's like affectionately desirous of you, like giving myself to take care of you. I've been corrected so many times in my tenderness towards our kids. God gave me my wife to help me. I remember once we were going on a date. I was excited to go on my date. My kids are old enough to watch themselves. We're walking out the door and my daughter's like, hey, what happens if there's a fight that we can't resolve? What do we do? I said, the Lord will help you. (laughs) That's dad, Christian talk for, I'm leaving, I don't care, you just figure it out. And my daughter turns to my wife and she's like, what do we do if there's a fight we can't figure out? And I said, I answered that already. (laughs) So we got in the car, we're driving away, my wife, my helper of 23 years is like, you were not very nice. (laughs) I said, yes, you're right. I was convicted, so I called home, I'm like, hey Haley, hey, dad was harsh, I was impatient. She started crying, I'm like, Will you please forgive me? She forgave me. God reminded me in that moment, New Testament parents fill their home with affectionate love. My wife and I had a great date. Our kids had a great time. There were no unresolvable conflicts. But I realized I wasn't being tender. It doesn't come naturally to me. That's why God gave me a helper. It's critical we bring so much love into our homes. So now Paul pivots in this passage He talks about his role in the church. He continues to talk about it. Verse 11, now he's talking about his role like a father. He says, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This one resonates with me. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's my dadness or whatever. But this is the other side of the coin. Parenting is a mix of tender love and strong exhortation. This is the environment I was raised in, tender love and strong exhortation. And by God's grace, that's the home my wife and I are raising our kids in. But parents tend to err one way or the other. They're too strict or they're too nice. By God's grace, godly parents bring both 
Lots of love, high expectations. So Paul is talking about his ministry with his church again. He says, I exhorted you, which means to call with decisive action. Hey, buddy, that's not how you speak to your mom. Hey, son, when your brother asks you a question, you need to respond immediately. I don't care if you're tired, my son. You need to sit up, perk up, and answer your mom's question. He encouraged them. I know this is really hard, daughter. God will help you. I will help you. He charged them, which is like a motivational speech. So last year, my daughter was doing some math homework. I'm pretty good at math. I was tutoring her. And she turns to me and she's like, you're teaching me wrong. I was like, please. I was like, wait a minute. What happened at school? Like, what's going on? Because she was way grumpy with me. She said at the lunch table, this girl insulted me and the whole table laughed at me. I was like, ah, oh, she's a fool. Who cares what she thinks? I said, she needs Jesus. God loves you. I love you. Your mom loves you. You are so loved. And then I shared a verse with her that talks about like evil words not sticking to us. I told stories about how I was picked on and persecuted in high school. I said, there was this one boy, Curtis. He's called me all these names. And kind of on a whim, she thought it was hilarious. She's like, he said what? And she's laughing or having this moment. And then I'm like, I wonder what he's up to. And so I Googled him. He had a real distinct name. And I kid you not, this is honest to God truth. I Googled him. The first thing that popped up was that he was arrested for sexually assaulting a woman. And so it was this unbelievable moment with my daughter. We're like, she's being bullied and persecuted. I tell her about my story. We look up the bully, and he's in jail because he's an abuser. So then Haley goes to school. She's telling this story to her friends, and the girl who was bullying her hears this story, and she's like, am I going to jail? <laughs> but in that moment, my daughter needed me to come alongside her and exhort her and encourage her and relate to her and share truth with her. When my kids were younger, at meals, many times I just told them to be quiet. I said, everyone needs to be quiet. You're going to be quiet and listen to mom and dad have an adult conversation. You need to eat your food, be self-controlled verbally, and just listen to mom and dad have an adult. The adults are talking. Just be quiet. But now as my kids have gotten older, especially as they're out of my house for eight hours a day, I feel the need to connect with them more at dinner. And so I'll say, everybody's going to share a highlight of their day. Sometimes we share a low light and a highlight of our day. And then usually dad jumps on his soapbox and we start talking about politics and culture and media and something I read or a YouTube video or something their, te your your teacher said, what? Dad's got some thoughts on that. And then we're discussing it. I feel this incredible burden as a dad with my teenagers to exhort them and charge them and teach them, especially when they're getting lied to all the time. There's this guy, uh, Dr. Gordon Newfeld. He was a psychologist. He said this, for the first time in history, young people are turning for instruction, modeling, and guidance, not to mothers and fathers, teachers, and other responsible adults, but to their own peers. Children are being brought up by immature peers who cannot possibly guide them to maturity. They're being brought up by each other. So dads and moms, exhort and encourage and charge your children. Mealtime is a fantastic opportunity to do this. Here we're all sitting. We're all eating. We're learning good manners. We're learning polite conversation. We're learning how to engage with each other and love each other. Don't bring your phone to the table. Turn off the TV and have like real loving meal and fellowship together. Do you know that every meal you add with your family 
reduces your kid's anxiety, depression, loneliness, studies say. Every meal you add, if you're at zero meals as a family, you add one, you've just like improved the mental health of your children. And remember Brian's slide with all of the social media negative impacts. So your application could be cut social media, add dinner times, and your kid's mental health will skyrocket. So New Testament parents don't pass on opportunities to exhort and charge their children. Don't allow your teens to disengage from you. Carve out time for conversation and connection. It's way more important to spend time connecting with your kids and cramming a few more activities in your weekly schedule. So Paul simultaneously loved this church like a tender mother and an exhorting father. So again, some of you are like, "Ah, how do we do this? Discipline. So on your handout there, I have this Hebrews passage. Some have said, well, Proverbs talks about discipline, Josh, but we're New Testament Christians. Proverbs doesn't apply. I direct us all to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read it to you. Read it on your handout. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this is the passage in Hebrews that talks about discipline. A few highlights there. Do not be weary. It takes patience to discipline our kids. you got to persevere. Our culture says don't discipline. God's word says you must. It's, gonna, it's an indication of your love for your children. Dads could say, or mom could say, oh, I'm so tired of constantly disciplining my kid. Don't grow weary. It's a good work. Verse 6, it's evidence that God loves you when he disciplines you. Verse 7, if you don't get disciplined by God, you're an illegitimate child. So New Testament parents utilize godly discipline as a training tool. Now, God knows how to discipline us perfectly. We are not perfect parents. We blow it. But we need God's grace. You know, for me, parenting is like this, like, I blow it, I get back up, dust myself off, apologize to my kids, jump back in the saddle. Like the other day when my son was unthankful at dinner, it made me angry. Because it's like, I paid for this food. Your mother bought this food. Your mother cooked this food. It's delicious food. And your first response is unthankfulness, is ungratefulness. So I spoke to him harshly. And I realized it. We went back in my office. I said, hey, buddy, dad was out of line. I should not have spoken to you harshly like that. He said, I forgive you. We hug. I'm like, all right, buddy, you're being super unthankful. And I told him that whole speech I just made you about who paid for it and bought and all that. And I said, hey, buddy, this food's fantastic. You just bought dinner. You bought dinner. And so my discipline of my teenage son was having him buy dinner that night. You can judge me later, but I think it was a really good discipline technique. So for teenagers, disciplining them is pulling things they want to do and adding things they don't want to do. No, you're not going to play video games. 
You're going to weed my yard for 30 minutes. And then while you're out there, I want you to think about it and then come back in. We're going to have a conversation about why you spoke to your dad like that. When my sons were sinful after dinner cleanup, the apologizing, the forgiving, the coaching, you're cleaning the house, and the rest of us are going to go do this fun activity. It's pulling fun. It's adding unfun. All the things your teens like to do, pull that if you need to discipline them. All the things they don't want to do, add that. Uh, God uses discipline to teach us. I love this quote by Spurgeon, the pastor, speaking about our Hebrews passage. He said, I'm afraid that all the grace I've got out of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I've received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. What do I not owe to the hammer and the anvil, the fire and the file? Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. We've got to train them. We've got to equip them. So I want to close with two stories. I want to tell you a story of a mom who said no and a mom who should have said no. These are sobering stories to close because they powerfully demonstrate the mom or dad who say no or don't say no. So the first story is the mom who said no. This is from a book. 14-year-old daughter wanted to go on a trip with her friends. Her mom was concerned about the trip, safety, college boys, alcohol, the whole deal. Daughter said, Mom, stop being so paranoid. We'll be totally fine. My friends and I will stay together. We have our phones. Mom said, I don't think it's safe. The daughter said, it's totally safe. Mom said, you're not going. Mom, you're going to ruin my life. My friends are all going. Everybody's going, well, you're not going. I hate you, Mom. I never want to talk to you again. The mom answered, to be honest, sometimes I'm not so fond of you either. <laughs> but I'm your mother. One of my entirest jobs is keeping you safe. And I know more about the behavior of drunk college boys than you do, and the daughter didn't go. The first mom wasn't afraid to bring unhappiness into her daughter's life. If you can't handle your five-year-old not wanting to leave Gaga Ball, what are you going to do when they're 15 and you're afraid of them? You're building your parenting courage right now. We let their flesh rule us instead of us, our spirit, ruling their flesh. I want them to be happy. I want them to be like them. Children, obey your parents for this is right. Not just when they feel like it. Not just when your kids agree with you. Okay, second story. This is the mom who should have said no, but she was afraid. The author writes, over two decades as a family physician, I've been involved professionally in a handful of cases of sexual assault. Each time with a girl is a victim. In one case, my only involvement was to sit with the mom after the fact. The mom said to me, I knew I shouldn't have let her go. She was just 15. It was a party for college kids. I knew I shouldn't have let her go. The author writes, one part of me wanted to shake the mom. Then why did you let her go? But of course, I didn't do that. I already knew the answer. The mom wanted her teenage daughter to like her. She didn't want her daughter to be upset with her. The author concludes, if you're doing your job as a parent, sometimes you have to do things that will upset your kids. If you're concerned that your kid won't love you anymore, that concern may keep you from doing your job. Do your job. The final blank. New Testament parents do the work of parenting. Mom and dad, you have an amazing gift that God has given you, children. And he's given you this incredible task, raising them in godliness and the instruction of the Lord. The rewards are amazing. I'm so proud of you guys for being here this weekend. So I'm going to pray. We're going to take a, we're right on time, I'd like to just say for the, <laughs> that's a side note. That's just a personal win for me. 
I'm going to do a 10-minute break. We'll set up some chairs. We'll answer a few questions. You guys have submitted some amazing questions, and then we'll be done. So, and if you have other questions, just text them in right now, and we'll try to cover as many as we can for a little bit. Lord, I just thank you for these men and women. I thank you for their heart to raise these kids well. I ask God that you would give us your grace, that you would empower us, you would show us the parts of our parenting that we need to focus in on. Lord, I thank you just for so many families in this church that want to do this well. Lord, we need your grace. We look to you for your help. We ask that you would help the Rock Church to be a place where we, we are not afraid to cross our kids. We are brave and courageous and wise and winsome. And God, you would help us to be radical in our parenting. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.